What's up, Cam? How's it going? Doing good? Man, new series. I'm excited for this new series. For those of you who might be joining us uh, either for the first time this semester or really for the first time, the last two weeks we kicked off talking about new life. What does new life in Jesus look like? And it was an awesome time. And today we're kicking off a new series called This is the Gospel. Because the gospel, it might seem kind of simple in and of itself, but it's not only the message that saves humanity, but it's deep. There's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of good stuff. And we just thought, hey, as this new kind of uh, semester, fall, wherever you're at in your journey, uh, being a college-age person, school, work, we just think it'd be cool as a community to talk about the gospel. So that's what we're doing. And I just kind of want to jump in really quick to just talk about the word gospel because the word gospel isn't something that, I mean, I typically use a lot. Like, hey, guys, this day is gospel. That actually does sound kind of cool, though. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't really, you, we don't really say that word. I mean, we're familiar with it because we kind of have heard it. If you've grown up at the church, you know um, people who have said it. You know maybe in the Bible there are gospels. But let's talk about the word before we jump into what the series is going to look like. So the word gospel means good news. It's really this, this Greek phrase, good news. And it was actually really popular during the time of Jesus. So Jesus lived around first century Rome, and during that time, different, like, important people, let's say Caesar, who was, like, the head guy of Rome, he was, like, basically the ruler of the world, whenever he would have a new decree that was good for his people, they would say, hey, this is the gospel of Caesar. This is the good news of Caesar, a very popular phrase back then. Um, and so uh, the gospel writers used gospel the good news of this new leader, this leader above all leaders, Jesus. And so in the New Testament, New Testament, it's a phrase meaning new covenant, new covenant of God, New Testament, starts out with these four gospels, which is four communal witness accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's interesting and actually fascinating because these are different witnesses of Jesus in his life and what he's done. It's the same story, but told through different eyes. It's really, really awesome. The gospel, good news. This is the gospel. So we're going to be going through the, uh, what the gospel is, and we're really going to be looking at five important aspects of the gospel. Here are the five aspects, the five weeks. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about who is Jesus. And then next week, what has he done? And then week three, why has he done this? Week four, how can we know it is true? In week five, how do we respond? We're going to be talking about the gospel, and I'm excited about it. And let's, let's kind of jump in today, right now. Who is Jesus? This is the Sunday school answer. <laughs> Who is Jesus? But here's the deal. It's an important question. Who is Jesus, right? It's an important question because if Jesus is really who he says he is, if Jesus actually is who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who the Bible says he is, then this question, who is Jesus? It's the most important question that you'll ever ask yourself. It's the most important question that anyone would, would ask you because that question not only has great implications for your life, but if Jesus is who he says he is, eternal life. This is a really, really, really important question. Who is Jesus? 
And we're going to be talking about who Jesus is today and what the Bible says about who Jesus is. But before we get there, I want to tell a little story. <laughs> it's a story, um, and it'll make sense maybe when I'm done. I think it will. But of when I was in California. So I grew up in Seattle. I went to grad school in California and then I worked in California after grad school. When I was in grad school, I was in the city of Pasadena, Southern California. It's L.A. County. And um, I was in seminary and I needed to like pay the bills, you know, that's kind of important. And I already did the undergrad thing. And I'm like, I don't want to do a lot of more student loans. Um, So I got a job. And in Washington State, before I moved to California, I was a waiter. So I'm like, "Eh, I kind of know how to be a waiter. So I got a job being a waiter at a restaurant. Turns out I (laughs) got a job at one of the most popular and, like, biggest (laughs) restaurants, which was kind of crazy and super stressful. It was called Houston's. Um, It's kind of like casual meets fine dining, literally, like, the best burgers and steaks that I've ever had. And everyone thought the same thing because it was always, like, super, super packed. And when I was working at Houston's, there was a bunch of different kind of people that would, that would go and eat there. People who would just save up for a couple months and have this like really fancy date, uh, different business people. And the most interesting thing for me was celebrities, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. This guy from like up north Washington, like seeing all these celebrities, it, it was crazy. Now, I'm not saying this story to be like, oh, I'm cool because I've met celebrities or name drop. No, but there's, there's a point to this. Um, when I was, uh, I would like watch The Office, which is still my favorite show. I'd watch The Office, then I'd go to work. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's Steve Carell. What do I do? What do I do? Just panic sweat. The most sweaty I got, though, was when Betty White came in. God rest her soul. God rest her soul. If you don't know who Betty White is, I'm sorry. But she came in, and I was literally panicking. I had to drop, like, spinach dip on her table, and I almost spilled it on her. It was crazy. I love, I love Betty White. Again, God rest her soul. So, but here's the deal. I don't know if you've been to California, but kind of like in LA, L.A., around Hollywood, people go there to try to, like, make it, right? They want to make it in the industry. I want to become an actor or a performer or a singer. And a lot of my friends in California, they were there to try to make it. It was great. You know, people tried to make it. Well, there was one night when I was waiting a table, uh, waiting my tables, and I was just super tired. You know, if you get super tired, I don't know how you react. I get grumpy. (laughs) I get a little grumpy. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone. Don't bother me. I'm tired. So um, I'm waiting tables. I'm kind of in a grumpy mood. And then a table next to me, there's like eight people on it. They had, like, backwards hats, like, chains, and they were rapping. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like, you can wear chains and ha- like do whatever. Be you. You can rap. That's fine. But I would, like, go to their table and hand something to them, and they're just rapping. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I would take something from their table after they were done eating, and they were still rapping. I felt like they, were ra- they rapped about me once. I don't know what was happening. They kept rapping. And... In my grumpiness, I was like, okay, another group of people moving to California. They're trying to make it. They're like posers who want to be like professionals, you know, like fakes who want to be famous kind of deal. And I was just done with it. They kept rapping. I just avoided their table. Well, the next day, I'm working, and I talk to uh, the waitress for their section. And I'm like, what was with those guys yesterday? I'm like, come on. Like, why were you rapping the whole time? Just a bunch of fakes, you know? <laughs> and then she started laughing, and she's like, Michael, that was Eminem. 
and his entourage. Literally, he's the farthest person from a fake that you could get. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hope he didn't hear me mutter some things under my breath. Like, I, but at that moment, I, I literally thought, I was convinced this guy was a fake. Like, I was convinced that he was the real deal. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Jesus. And a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is. Back then when Jesus lived, and all throughout uh, history to today. People think a lot of different things about Jesus. Some people think, man, he's fake. He's a fake. Other people, yeah, maybe he was a good guy. Other people, who Jesus is, man, that changes everything. The reality of who Jesus is. And we're going to talk about that today. So with that, I want to go to one of the Gospels. I want to go to Mark. And in Mark, we find ourselves with Jesus walking with his disciples. And they were going to a city, and they were having this conversation. This is what the conversation was. On the way, he, Jesus, asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, when it comes to you, if you are walking with Jesus, or right now sitting down to yourself, how would you answer that question? If Jesus said, hey, who do you say that I am? What would your honest, honest response to Jesus be? Because that answer, again, has big implications. Who is Jesus? And to answer who is Jesus, because that's what we're talking about today, I want to talk about three things that the Bible says about who Jesus is. Three big important truths. And the first one that I want to talk about is this, that Jesus is really real. Jesus is really real. Again, Gospels, the definition means good news. People proclaiming good news about someone, typically a leader. And so we get these four witness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, saying, hey, there was this guy who lived. It was crazy. Things happened. Different things changed. People were healed, dead, raised to life. Jesus, he's real. This is our account of his life. That's the good news, the gospel of John, of Mark, of Luke, of Matthew. But here's the thing. They're not the only ones who wrote about Jesus. In seminary and in different Bible classes, they'll use a phrase called extra-biblical material. We're in seminary class right now. Extra-biblical material. Say it five times. No, I just say it. I just said. Um, and that is uh, when people look at things outside of the Bible just to see if the things in the Bible are actually kind of correct. You know, they'll kind of check cultural references and check what's going on. And there was this one man who lived during the time of Jesus named Josephus. Josephus was not a Christian convert. To our knowledge, he never became one. But he talked about this man named Jesus. This man named Jesus who had like this following who stirred people. And people were like, wow, I'm going to move towards him. Josephus wrote about Jesus. So we have different people outside of Christianity who say, yeah, this guy really exists. He's really real. In fact, 
if you talk to any credible historian, any credible historian will say, like, yeah, there was someone named Jesus. He was alive. He did some stuff that stirred the em Roman Empire in different ways, and this movement happened around him. There was Je a guy named Jesus. So the question isn't, was Jesus really real? But is what Peter said about Jesus true? Remember, he said, but what about you? He asked, this is Jesus, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, Messiah. You're the Messiah. Again, this is a word that we use every day, right? <laughs> no, I don't use the word Messiah. Let's talk about the word Messiah because it's a really important word. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. But you'll have some kind of like Hebrew words that people will say in uh, the New Testament. Messiah is a Hebrew word. And it's a Hebrew word that means this, anointed. And in this context, Messiah means an anointed one. That's Hebrew. Greek, you'll, there's the same word. It's Christ. When you hear Christ, it's not Jesus' last name. Don't say like, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. His last name's Christ. You're, that's wrong. You're going to get that wrong if it's like Sunday school. Don't say that. That's the Greek word for anointed. Jesus was the anointed one. So back in this time, first century Rome, we're talking about history right now. There's this man named Jesus who came. And a lot of people like Peter were like, oh, I think he's the Messiah. And what everyone at that time was thinking was he is the one who's going to save us from the political oppression that, that they were in. You see, historically speaking, when we look at the Old Testament, what happens or what happened was uh, the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were exiled from their land. They were in power, but now they are no longer in power, and they wanted to become back in power because the people who were in power over them, Caesar, the Romans, they didn't like that. They wanted to do things their way. They wanted freedom. And so when they read the Old Testament, they saw these different prophecies, these different things that talked about this Messiah, this anointed one who will come and save them. And Peter's like, I know you are the Messiah. And people were thinking like, oh, is he the Messiah? They had false messiahs coming all the time. But they were thinking like, is Jesus the Messiah? And after this, Jesus said, don't tell anyone. It's not the time yet. And really, don't tell anyone because I'm not the type of Messiah that you think I am. You see, Jesus did come to save, but not in the way that they were expecting him to save. Which leads us to the second truth that I want to talk about today. That Jesus really saved us. Jesus really saved us. And I want to talk about that. They thought they were ex getting a political savior. But this is what Jesus actually was. So it starts at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, the first three, cha three chapters, talk about God creating humanity in his image. And God was like, okay, I created you. You're in my image. You got to follow me, okay? Kind of like a dad talking to their kid like, uh, or a mom. Like, you got to follow me. Do what I say because, like, I actually know what's best for you. And they're like, okay, we got it, God. And then they're like, we don't got it. We, we're not going to follow you. And it was an intentional decision that we, that humanity, made. And what happened was God was saying, like, hey, if you make that decision, if you want to choose what, what is good and evil for yourself, then what's going to happen is you're going to separate yourself from me and guess what i'm life i created life i sustain life i am life 
apart from me is death. If you choose that, death is going to happen. Suffering. And humanity is like, we still got it. See ya. Peace. Well, guess what? (laughs) Death and suffering happen because it turns out we're not the best at calling the shots. That's the first three chapters of Genesis. It's wild. And then from Genesis through the Old Testament up to the Gospels, which are the first books of the New Testament, you have this this vicious cycle of God's people saying like, okay, I want to follow you. I'm back. I'm back. Just kidding. I'm gone. And God's like, come on. And they're like, okay, I'm back for real. I'm back for real. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, just kidding. See ya. And this was a cycle that happened over and over and over again until we get to three-fourths of the way through the Old Testament. Basically, this is the Bible, guys. (laughs) Three-fourths of the way through the Old Testament, and they were exiled. They were exiled from their land. I talked about that earlier. So they were waiting for this Messiah to bring them back. But the reality is God was more interested in the exile from their relationship with him. He was more interested in not just restoring the political power that they had, but restoring the relationship that they had. That's what God was about. That's why Jesus came. He came because he wanted to really save us. There's a passage that most of us know. It's really, really famous. If if you're into football, you, you definitely know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is probably the most important passage of the entire Bible because it gets at the very heart of God that I'm a God who really, really saves. Who is Jesus? Now at this moment, I want to hit the pause button because right before we got to this point, most thoughtful people were, were probably following me. You know, they're like, okay, Jesus was really real, like historically he, he walked this earth. Like, it's in different material outside of the Bible. It's in the Bible. I can track with that, okay? Jesus is a savior. All right, well, what do you mean by that? Like, a lot of different Jewish people, different people in different religions, they could think, like, yeah, there was a man named Jesus. He's probably a failed savior because the Jewish nation was still under Roman's occupancy. Okay, I can track with that. But the thing that is a deal breaker for most people is what that passage says. Oh, you're that kind of Messiah? Oh, he's that kind of Savior? No, I draw the line there. I don't believe in that. And if you're honest with yourselves, and if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, and maybe you're at this campus right now, when you go somewhere and you talk to someone and they kind of get to know you, you kind of feel the tension about how they would answer the question, what type of Messiah is Jesus? What type of Savior? They're either like, yeah, I think he is humanity's Savior, or nah, he was a failed Savior. He died. Nah, not, I'm, I'm not following Christianity. There's, there's kind of two responses that you'll get in this tension that if you're a follower of Jesus that you'll manage. So I'm a pastor And it's pretty, like, I come into contact with that tension a lot. Like, I can't really hide it. 
Okay, for example, if you meet someone new and you say, like, what's the first thing you say after you swap names? What do you do, right? Come on. Yeah, we got one nod. That's great. I'm going to do jumping jacks. I need to wake people up. I'm not going to do jumping jacks. Um, <coughs> but that's kind of the first thing that people say when you meet someone, like, hey, I'm Michael. I'm uh, whoever. Like, what do you do? So I can't really hide what I do, right? Okay, so this happens all the time when I fly. I'm from the West Coast. I'll fly a lot to go back. Whenever I'm in an airplane, if you've been in an airplane, you probably know this situation. You like, you're stressed out, you find your seat, ah, middle seat, this stinks. You sit down, and then someone's already next to you, you sit down, the aisle seat's open, and then you know that someone else is going to come in, and in that moment, there's two type of people on the plane, right? There's a type of people who are like, man, I want to tell you everything about my life. I just want, I want... I want to have you know everything about me. Let's talk the whole flight. And then there's the other type of person where you're the, I'm not really available to talk to you kind of person. You know, there's two type of people. I'm the second one. <laughs> I'm the second one. When I'm sitting down, my quick reflex is, where are my earbuds? I got to put those puppies in because when those are in, that means like he's busy. He's watching his little movie. He's good. And that's what I do. So, but sometimes when I sit down, I like put an earbud in or a headphone and I go to put the other one in and what happens? They sit down before it's in. This is a, tra a tragic story that happens to me. And I'm an extrovert, normally introverts, this is your life. So trigger warning. Um, I sit down and they start talking to me and I'm like, ah. Oh. And they say, hi, I'm so, whatever, what's your name? Hi, I'm Michael. Oh, great, Michael, what do you do? And I know that I have a decision to make, and I know I have to say what I actually do, because if I lie, I'm a bad pastor. <laughs> That's a bad pastor. So I typically say, hi, yeah, I'm a pastor. And in that moment, one of two things happens for the rest of the flight. Either they're super excited because they have someone in common to talk about Jesus with, and they're going to talk and talk and talk. They're so excited. Or... I'm so excited because they're not going to talk to me anymore because they, they're like, okay, conversation done. I don't think I'm really, really going to talk to this guy. No, I like talking to people. Sometimes I want to watch my movie, though. So there you go. But, but different people have different responses to the question, well, who is Jesus? What type of Savior is he? Remember, this is what the passage in John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is saying, John is saying, Jesus is saying that I am the humanity saving, eternal life giving savior. And why? Our last point, because he really loves us. Jesus really loves you. When I was in high school, um, <coughs> I was a junior, and all of a sudden, when I would walk, my, uh, my hip hurt, uh, my left hip. I thought I was 80, but I was, like, going on 18. And so I would walk, and I'd feel this pain. I'm like, ah, I probably stretch it. I was a really active person. So I took it easy for a couple days, you know, let your body heal itself, but it didn't heal itself. And I thought, okay, that's weird. I'm having a hip problem. So I kept going on, thought it'd get better. It didn't. So I talked to my parents. I'm like, hey, mom, dad, like, 
it's been like a month now, and when I walk, my hip's been hurting. And they thought, well, you're growing a lot, so it's probably growing pains. Just give it some time. It'll get better. And I thought, okay, I'll just give it some time. Another month passed, and it still hurt. So I went to my parents again, and they're like, okay, let's go to a clinic. Let's, let's get your hip checked out. Um, they checked it out, and they're like, ah, you probably, like, there's some, like, maybe, like, tendon ligament things that happen. You probably, like, really injured it. So they're like, we want you to come to physical therapy and take it easy, and then, then hopefully that's going to solve everything. Like, we're pretty sure that's going to do it. So I did. I showed up, and I did physical therapy, and that didn't solve it. <laughs> Whenever I would walk, like, I just felt my hip hurting, and it kept getting worse and worse. And then after three months, I went to my parents, and I said, hey, something's happening. Like, it's not getting better. I don't know what to do. So... They actually took me to the hospital, and um, I saw a hip surgeon, and he did a lot of kind of like x-rays and tests, and um, he told me, like, it's not like an insignificant problem. The problem is so much bigger than you thought it was. We need to rush you into overnight surgery. And I was freaking out. I'm like, What? They rushed me into overnight surgery. They put a pin in my hip. I had a hip disease where my cartilage wasn't growing right, and that the, the I still have the pin in my hip. Um, they put it back like they it kept everything where it needs uh, needs to be, and and I'm good now. But it all started with me knowing that something wasn't right. Something wasn't right, and then trying different things until someone took the time to really see what was going on, and then that someone had the power to change what was really going on, and they did something about it. And it changed me. The Bible says that Jesus is our great physician. We sang about that at that last song. It's one of his names. He is the great physician. And the reality is, He's the one that took time to investigate our lives, our condition. He was the one that noticed something's not right. And I'm the one who can fix it. I can change it. And he did. But what he did is still so hard for so many to believe. Who he is is still so hard for so many people to believe. I mean, let's take a look back at the Gospel of Mark. Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And some thought he was John the Baptist. Others thought he was Elijah. Others thought he was one of the prophets. They thought that Jesus came to give them spiritual guidance. Other people thought that Jesus was going to save them from the oppression of Rome. They thought he was our political savior. But the reality was back then, their problem was so much bigger than they ever thought. They, we, need God himself to come in to do something about it because only he can we need a savior and the truth is instead of going to him a lot of us and a lot of people back then they're like no nah, i can just stretch it out you know i can do my physical therapy i can try to do things on my own but jesus is the only one that can actually save us from the condition that we're in because god's not interested in fixing a temporary problem God is interested in fixing an eternal problem. God wants to save us. That's why he came down. 
Then why? Because he really loves you. Jesus really loves you. For God so loved the world that this can be so hard for so many people to believe. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Because the answer to that question can change everything because only Jesus has the power to change everything in our lives. Who is Jesus to you? Now, as I close, I know that some people in here, you're listening to this and you're like, honestly, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I don't know. Like, okay, I'm hearing these historical things and these things that he's the savior. That's great. I'm in process. And if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that this can continue to be a place where you can be in process. You can bring your whole self, your whole questions. And for others of us, we've made the decision to follow Jesus, that he is the savior that we really need because he really loves us. And throughout the rest of the series, we're going to be looking at, okay, what does it look like then for those who make the decision to follow Jesus, this good news, this gospel, what does it look like for us to follow him? What does it look like to be a follower of this good news? And until then, I want to throw the last slide back up. Know this about who Jesus is. Jesus is really real. Jesus is really our Savior, and Jesus really loves us. He really loves you. Let's pray. So Jesus, honestly, whenever I go on like Instagram or TikTok or anything like that, there's so many different messages that I see that are trying to get my attention. And the reality is there's so many messages about you that are trying to get our attention whether it's messages that we hear from coworkers, from different students, from our own mind, from different things, Jesus, I pray that the message of who you really are is the one that sinks deep. God, I pray that you show us who we are in you, that you show us that you're not a God who's just interested in eternal things, but you're a God who's in interested in things of today. Because the reality is there's some people right now where there's a lot of things going on, God. And I pray that no matter what's going on, that in just a really authentic and beautiful way that we can come to you individually during this next song or whether it's going to the back to write on our prayer wall or talk with someone in our prayer team, that we can just pour our hearts out to you. God, if we are your children and if we belong to you, then I pray in this time we can come to you with the things that are hindering us, the things that are hurting us, the things that we're confused about, the different questions we have about, okay, who are you? Make yourself real to me then today, tonight. I pray that you do that, that you meet us where we need to be met, that you can show us in a tangible way that you are our Savior today. Because we need a Savior.